Follow Him podcast. This podcast is created by the Boise Nampa Institute of Religion for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Here, we hope to help young adults find relevant principles each week as they study the assigned Come Follow Me scripture block as outlined by the church. This episode is simply two institute teachers talking about what they see in the scriptures that might be relevant to your life. It is not intended to speak for the church or to definitively define doctrines or policies. Any opinions shared here are just that, our opinions, as we have learned to come follow Him. I'm your host, Matt Swenson. Let's jump in. Again this week, uh, we have with us a wonderful, fantastic young man, student here at Boise State uh, on the council, uh, student council at the institute here. Brother Brock Olson is with us today. Brother, good to have you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, not a problem. I'm excited to, to hear what you've got to share with us. We, uh, we thought we'd have a, a student come on, a brilliant student come on and uh, share some thoughts with us today. So, but before we do, let, uh, let's take a minute, just uh, introduce yourself and and what would you want everybody to know about you? My name is Brock Olson. I grew up in a little town called Cary, Idaho. Okay. Very, very small town. So kind of everybody knew everybody. Yeah. And uh, grew up there. Uh, ended up uh, moving my junior year to a town called Sun Valley, Idaho. Yep. A little bit away from uh, Boise now. But as I grew up, did the whole uh, high school routine and then up becoming a river guide actually cool. really? which is cool no kidding yeah like rafting rafting no kidding yeah whitewater rafting where guide. where did you do that at um i was in moab no kidding uh for about a year i didn't know that yeah i so, didn't know you grew up in sun valley that's cool yeah it's a cool area yeah. to to grow up at yep so so river rafting how long did you do that i did that for uh one summer so actually i did my emt cool uh right out of high school cool um yeah, I became a river guide, really like that, and then dove into school yeah. right after that Good. and decided I wanted to become a river guide for another season. That's cool. So I ended up doing that and served a mission. Cool. Where'd you serve at? Um, I served in Mississippi, okay. Louisiana. Yeah. And uh, was supposed to serve in Guatemala, but uh, got changed due to Re- COVID. Was that the COVID issue? Was the COVID issue. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I was one of the first missionaries out during COVID. So oh, I, was, really? I was one of the first ones during online MTC. So were you locked down a lot? I was. Mission? I oh, wow. was. Yep. Wow. Successful so, mission though, would you say? I would say for me, yes, it yeah. was a, su- Good. a successful mission. So. That's cool. So back from a mission, you're plugged into, did you just come straight to Boise State after that? Yeah. So I went to BYU, Idaho, graduated with an associates there. Great. And then uh, transferred uh, to Boise State, and I've been here for the past almost two years now. Yeah. So you're getting close. I'm a yeah. I'm a senior studying yeah. marketing. Great. And I'm graduating this this spring semester. Yeah. Seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. That's cool. So, That's cool. Yeah. What's plan after you graduate? Honestly, I'm not sure yet. I river might, guide. I might live <laughs> in a van down by the river. Or, <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure where kind of life will take me and. I'm hoping to be working for different companies cool. around Boise, sticking around here for as long as I can Great. to hang out with my brother. So Awesome. Well, you've got such a good family, and uh, it's, it's fun to have you guys around here. I, I was excited uh, when you accepted the invitation to come on, and you're so good. I mean, I barely asked, and you're like, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And uh, just so good that uh, we, we just appreciate your willingness to come on and share some thoughts. I think tonight uh, will be kind of a cool way to look at the Scriptures, having a young single adult with us. Uh, we try every week to find relevance for young single adults generally and trying to find relevance really just in the scriptures for all of us because if it's true for you it's true for me right but man i you know as we go today if if uh, there's things that are specifically relevant to young single adults from your perspective bring that stuff out but uh but let's jump in you good with that yeah that sounds great we're going to be in uh, matthew chapter six and seven uh it's kind of the middle of the sermon on the mount christ has started the sermon on the mount in the in chapter five of matthew and uh he's He's just, he's going. He's in the middle here. I might start us just by kind of throwing us to the very end of it, and then I'm going to turn it over to you. Sounds great. At the very end of Matthew chapter 7, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He gets done speaking in verse, uh, this is chapter 7, verse 28. It says, it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, there's a Joseph Smith translation. It says that when Jesus had ended these sayings with his disciples, that the people were astonished at his doctrine. And then verse 29 for he taught them as one having 
authority and not as the scribes. And again, there's a Joseph Smith translation, as one having authority from God and not as having authority from the scribes. It's just interesting, before we jump in, that the way that the scribes would teach, a scribe was really kind of just a lawyer of his day. You know, they, they, were, they were very responsible for memorizing and knowing the law and trying to find applications to that law in their culture and in whatever was going on at the, t- at the time. So they didn't expound on the law. They didn't really say what the law means. They never changed the law. The law was just what it was. And so, as we go today and and you hear the Savior saying things like, this is kind of how it's been done, and this is what we're going to do instead, that was a big shift. That was something that that the scribes didn't teach. Um, The the scribes would have been called a rabbi. They would have been considered a master teacher, and they would have had disciples or followers of them individually because people liked the way they did what they did. And so for Christ's disciples at the time to be being taught, hey, you're going to go out and teach this stuff, but you're going to do it differently, I think is a significant, uh, a significant change in how uh, these people would have been receiving instruction at the time. So, so maybe just kind of contextually that, that might help kind of paint what we're going to do here. So Brock, take us in. Chapter 6, if there's any background context or anything else you want to give us, feel free, but take us into what you like, where we ought to start. Well, I just wanted to emphasize kind of on the point that you were making. I love, it was either in the uh, Come Follow Me lesson past week or possibly in the scriptures. It, it just talks about how there was no other teacher who has presented like the teachings or like the things that were being taught yeah. in the way that the Savior did. Yeah. And so when when he did that, when he brought like these different points up of like oh the poor is going to be rulers you right know? yeah <laughs> and just like there will be people having treasures beyond comprehension and right there there were like the not necessarily nobodies but they weren't very important back in the right. day the blessed blessed would be the meek right. right that that would not be somebody that they're looking at or the poor or the downtrodden right yeah yeah so I think that kind of applies to today as well, is being able to understand that everybody will be almost the same and yeah. interpreted as the same. Yeah, yeah, especially those that are are willing to follow the Savior's plan, right? The the, the mighty and the and those that have worldly clout will kind of be shut down. Yeah, and and the meek and the lowly will be raised up. And yeah, that's cool. I like that. I like that. Thank you. Okay. Of course. But Where do we start? Jump us in. I would love to start uh, just right at the beginning of okay. chapter 6. And it's where he's still continuing to teach about the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. But he's starting to talk about when you should be praying, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Right? So that first first verse takes us into like, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward. Of your Father which is in heaven, therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, but do it as I say unto you. They have their reward. I like if they're doing it in secret, right? If yeah. they're if they're praying with humility, like right? Keep keeping things to themselves. It's not it's not publicly yeah being done. I think jumping down to four, I think, is kind of where I was trying to go. But it just says that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father, which is seen in secret himself, shall reward thee openly. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, I I think I can definitely testify to that in my life. Like, I believe that when you pray in secret, and you pray, and you just have those, those like, thoughts and feelings of, you know, humility and sacredness in your life, um, and keep those little thoughts of God, I think... I could definitely see time and time again that there's been open blessings pronounced, you know, upon me because I've kept them secret and not boast, be boastful of them. Yeah, that's really cool. Have there been times where you felt like, I don't mean to call you out, just just thinking about it, and, and you don't have to share anything specific, but have there been times where you felt like your alms, maybe we just define alms, the, the cross-reference defines alms as righteous acts of religious devotion, so prayer or whatever, right? Yep. Um, have there been times in your life where you felt like your alms were maybe for show, maybe a little more for the people around you than they were intended maybe to, for, for God? I believe that 
it's kind of natural to sometimes feel that way yeah. and to start to understand that like maybe as a young young adult or uh, maybe in your younger years or maybe in older years you you start to feel like those those righteous acts those righteous doings somewhat just become maybe not yours like yeah. you're relying on someone else's testimony yeah and like correct me if i'm wrong but i believe that sometimes how people feel of like they're they're relying on other people's testimonies yeah. and they yeah let me let me collect my thoughts but i like that um let me add to that and i want you to i want you to continue down that road you know the the idea that we we get into it's kind of like the rami umptum in the, in the book of mormon right where where people were getting up on a tower and hands up in the air, oh, holy, holy God, we're so grateful that we're better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. And these other, these peons out here in the, you know, the peanut gallery that we're better than them. And, and, and I don't think that's what, what we do as members of the church, as people that understand the gospel in, in, in its fullness, at least as much as we've been given at this point. But I do wonder if we become a little bit rote in how we present ourselves to God. Now, let me give you an example. Um, there's something that I call the song of prayer. And, and this is in, this is in uh, maybe verse 5. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Like, if, if that's what I love, and I just, I love for other, other people to see me praying, that's my reward. It's, it's literally, that's it. I get, I get what the people around me are giving me, right? Whatever that is, whatever praise I'm getting, that's my reward. But this idea, the song of prayer, I, I think is something that many of us do, and probably a lot of us, especially when we're younger, but I think it carries into our adult years, and, and we ought to, maybe we ought to check it. Um, and, and I'm going to sing for you. Are you excited? Rock? Yeah, he's just smiling. He's super excited. So here's a song. Ready? The song goes, la, 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 like 90% of a young person's prayer or someone who's really not plugged into their prayer right then. And, and our voice intones the exact same thing every time we pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, I'm grateful for this day. Bless us that we'll be safe when we drive to school. Bless my mom that she'll continue to make me cookies. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Right? Like we literally fill in the blank. Our voice needs to just, we only have this many syllables before the song has to be over in this phrase, right? And I think we fall into the pattern of, of just filling in the blank. I say, my dear Heavenly Father, and then what's next? Well, I got to say thankful for something. So, well, the walls are really nice today, right? We just, we literally just think, what's the next thing? Fill in the blank, fill in the blank, fill in the blank. As opposed to thinking, what am I thankful for? What actually am I thankful for? And, and what, are, what things would I want to tell Heavenly Father I'm grateful He's done in my life? What things do I actually need? Do I really, like, like how worried am I really that I'm not going to be safe driving to school, right? Like, is that like a concern of mine? Like, because it's everybody's concern according to our prayers, right? That we'll all be safe in our travels or that the cookies will be blessed, right? Like, those are things that we, we tout as our concerns when we pray the way we learn to pray, I think. And I think it becomes problematic because I think we learn only to pray that way until there's a real need. And then our prayers are real and they're honest and they're not the song. Um, it's, it's a heartfelt. And then we fall back into that song when we're comfortable again, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe? Is, I don't know. Is, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah? And I think, I think that's where I was going. Of like, I, I just feel like some of my most like, heartfelt prayers Yeah. I've been just digging deep into what I need in my life yeah. and just spending the time to think through, you know, what I what I actually desire and what I want and yeah. what I actually am thankful for. Yeah, that's really great. When uh, uh, when I was in the MTC, uh, Elder Holland came and he spoke. I don't know what he spoke about. I have no idea what his what his talk was. I remember he he was grateful that the missionaries were serving and my companion was like really struggling. And he wanted to go home. And Elder Holland did his very typical, like, pound the podium, pointed exactly to where we were sitting in the room and said, you're here for a reason. Don't go home. Right. And like, so my companion took it as like, I'm not supposed to go home. I'm supposed to stay on my mission. And he did. It was, he was a great guy. But right after that was kind of introduction to his talk. And then right after that, he said, the other night as I was preparing for prayer, I dot, dot, dot. And I don't know what the rest was, because I remember thinking, what does that mean? Preparing for prayer. 
That's like throw my jammies on, ready for bed. That's preparing, right? But to him, preparing for prayer was a process where he was thinking about, what am I going to talk to God about? And I think sometimes we don't really prepare to talk to God. <laughs> that maybe yeah. we should, right? Yeah. Maybe we should do a little more of that. I think sometimes it could be um, a little casual. You know, yeah. you, you're getting ready for bed and you're like, man, I just want to right. get right in the covers. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to bed. But yeah. I like how you put that of like preparing right. for prayer. Yeah. Like I've, when I reflect on like actually preparing for for prayer, it's hard to kind of think of, you know, a lot of times where that happens naturally. Yeah, you know? yeah right. It's like you, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. I, and, and then it kind of gets in, in the scriptures here, it gets into what you were saying at the beginning, right? Where where we, we do it in secret. That's that's when our Heavenly Father is very aware, paying attention. It's not public. It's not... Uh, all those things we don't get into verse seven where it's the vain repetitions maybe that becomes the song or the fill in the blank and and much speaking you know sometimes it's the closing prayer and sacrament meeting that's like 30 minutes long right like okay we get it right but yeah yeah i think that that's cool and then and then he jumps into the the prayer that he offers as a example of how to pray yeah and uh, it's, it's not very long <laughs> it's not no, very it's long not. But there's some really cool things in there too. Anything else here that you want to touch on before we No, I think move forward. I think that's good. Okay. So stands out to me in, at the end of the prayer. Um, he uh, this is the prayer um, of our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You know, it's very common uh, cited in the Christian world and the Catholic world especially. Verse 12 says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And we turn the page. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom of the uh, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he continues. So he finishes the prayer, but he continues. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So, so he, like, he finishes the prayer and he's like, Yeah, but I want to teach that concept about forgiving, right? Because he added it in the prayer. And so then he continues to teach that concept about uh, forgiveness. So give me some thoughts there. Anything on on that idea of forgiveness or uh, how we forgive and are forgiven? Uh, anything in that in that realm? I just think that it was cool that uh, he did end his prayer and then goes on to say, but if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive your trespasses. When you fast, you need to fast to God and not unto uh, unto man but yeah. specifically in forgiveness i think when we have that that desire to forgive others the reassurance of having our father in heaven yeah. being able to forgive us as well yeah because we're having that forgiving heart is is very important to me i think yeah it, it really teaches us um and I think it's bigger than just did you forgive people the way you the way you want me to forgive you. I think it's really have you become like the Savior in that? Have you have you been able to look at people and recognize that like their life's hard too and they're going through stuff and they're not perfect and can you recognize that and, and be compassionate for them? It's I think it's bigger than just can you forgive everybody around you. Yeah. You know, it's did did you learn to see people like the Savior? I think we've talked about it on the podcast before, but. I have a really hard time seeing, you know, even people that have, have kind of wronged me and done wrong things to my family and, and, and thinking about how, like, someday I'm going to see them at the judgment. I'm going to be like, get them, God. Right? Like, like, I just don't, I don't think that way. That's just not how I, how I formulate my thinking about people that, you know, that, that even have wronged me. And, and I think that the objective is really to get to that place where, we, we might recognize that their behaviors and the actions that they've taken um, in their life uh, will maybe not allow them to be with God in the celestial kingdom. We, we might be able to identify some of those things on some levels, but, but to be sad and to, to mourn for that rather than be vindictive and grateful that that's the way it's going to go, you know, I think that's really what he's getting at here is um, we, we need to ask for forgiveness like we want for, to be forgiven. Um, and hope that mercy can be doled out on like massive level levels for <laughs> totally, each of us, right? Yeah. yeah, I love the thought of empathy versus like sympathy. Yeah, right. Just being able to feel or put yourself in the shoes of one other, and you're like, hey, like I've I've been through this, right? Yeah, 
like I feel this. And I know that that's not necessarily something that we can do on everything. Sure. But it's reassuring to know that like the Savior has been through that. Yeah. Right. I think that's a great part of the atonement. If we are insecure about, you know, forgiveness and someone who's not been like forgiving at all or we haven't received assurance in that, the atonement is able to step yeah. in and, and be able to have be a comfort. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. You know, um, I just connected to something you said. Uh, my uh, my daughters, my oldest two daughters, uh, were hit by a drunk driver a couple of years ago. Killed their best friend. And I think I brought this up on the podcast as well. But put my younger daughter in the hospital for months with broken neck, broken back, all kinds of stuff. And my, oh, my older daughter, greatly traumatized from that event, broken up as well. You know, I, I think as... As I think of even that kind of a wrong behavior, to be able to step back and see, you know, the, the, the actions that that young man took that night, as wrong as they were, were not in a bubble, right? That there was, there was a whole lot of life that happened for that young man to make the choice he made that night. He passed away as well that evening. But to be able to say, okay, I can have more empathy because I, too, understand how parts of my life have impacted my actions today, right? Long-term kinds of effects on my life. But even more, one of the things I learned from that event was I think I understand trauma better now, even if it has nothing to do with drunk driving, right? Because I've experienced something in that sphere, um, I have a better perspective of somebody else that's going through a trauma, whether it's drunk driving or it's some other event that, that is traumatic in their life. And so I, I say that because I think it's important to recognize that as we learn one thing, it really can apply to a lot of other things, right? It really can. We can say, oh, that's like the, the rock bottom in my life. I know what it feels to be at rock bottom. And so I can look at somebody else who's at rock bottom and be like, oh, man, I totally know what that's like, right? Even if their rock bottom is com because of completely different circumstances, I'm able to use my experience and say, I know what that feels like, even if it's because of different circumstances and, and built based on different events in their life. So I think you're right. I think that empathy comes from our ability to look at the things we've gone through and disassociate ourselves from those things enough to apply somebody else's experience to them and say, oh, yeah, I, I would feel the same way. And then we become a lot more forgiving, don't we? When we're, yeah, I would believe so. Yeah, when, yeah. We're, when we're willing to see other people's whole experience. I think that the next step of that, and sometimes this is the hardest part, is just to minister, right? Yeah. Being able to being stewards to to those people and possibly to others who are affected. Man, that's big. That is very big. It's which, hard. Super hard, yeah. right? Yeah, but no, I really appreciate you sharing that experience. Yeah, I no. didn't know that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's important. Uh, you touched on it. Uh, he goes on here and talks about uh, fasting. And uh, we don't have to cover everything in here, but is there something in, in the way we fast, instructions there? R remember, this this uh, sermon is, I, I, I kind of think of it like, okay, the disciples are all sitting around. They're getting ready to go out and preach and minister. They're getting sent in, in twos. And I don't know exactly how the Savior taught this, but this feels like Matthew's notes. Right? Like, like he's like, okay, when I fast, don't do this, do it this way, do it this way. This is what I'm supposed to teach generally, these concepts, right? And it kind of feels like every three or four verses, there's a completely different concept that the Savior had gotten to in his discussion with them. Um, and this, the, the fasting one, I think, is, is an important one that's in here that, that I think maybe we don't fully do correctly in our day even. Um, though I think many of us fast. I, I'm just not sure we're doing it right. <laughs> yeah. I... I just like, I was studying the other day about, you know, Jesus and him fasting for 40 days yeah. and just how, how that must have been. And we probably don't do it right, but I think the, the importance of the intentions yeah. of what you're doing and, and having the ability to understand that, you know, when you fast, there's power in that. Sister Burke shared an experience the other night about in her Lead Like Christ class, and she, she talked about how there's an experience where there was a, a death in uh, her realm of, of people and she, she ended up fasting for them in particular. And she said that uh, when she did that, most of the ward also felt 
Um, it was like a war award stake fast, and uh, most of the people who participated in that had a shared burden mm. of that weight, right? Mm. And the uh, the family who was inflicted was able to find peace yeah. um, in that particular thing. So I think the power of fasting is, you know, vital to finding peace and also being able to share and lift burdens. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it's a it's a much magnified prayer for sure, right? My stake president does something cool. Uh, she shared with me, he's a, a mentor of mine. Uh, I have some formal mentors in my life. I've asked some people that really are important in my life to, to help me learn specific things. And one of the things um, I've asked him to help me learn is just leadership. He's just a fantastic leader and I, and I wanted him to help me with that. And so he said, in my preparations to lead and learn to lead better, to fast about that thing. And he said, write down specifically on a note card the things that you are fasting for when you're fasting so that you know and you can pull it out during the day or where, however long you're fasting and you can you can review the, the things that you're specifically fasting for. And uh, he said, at the end of the day, you, you maybe will get answers occasionally to, to the things on your card. But if you keep those cards and you go back over the course of the next year and you look at the things you fasted for, he says it's amazing how many of the things in his life he has seen that were given as a direct result of his fasting. Maybe not the day of or the week after, but over the next six months or the next year, he really saw that every single one of those things he was given as, a, as some type of a blessing to have uh, a more impact in that thing or whatever it was he was, he was seeking. And I think I've started that. I think it's a, I think it's a cool little tool to to remember what I've fasted for and make it something that really does matter to me and expands my thinking that I can review and, and look back and see how God's hand's been part of my life. I love that because, you know, sometimes it's it's very temporal, right? Yeah. It's very an immediate thing that yeah. needs, you know, yeah. uh, needs to happen or needs to uh, be be solved. And so I think when when you write it down, like... Being able to reflect on that, yeah. that would be a cool experience. Yeah. I might do that as well. Yeah, good. I invite you to. It's cool. Yeah, um, yeah and, and again, the Savior here is is uh, pointing specifically to those that disfigure their faces yeah. and they're, oh, woe is me, I am fasting, right? And yeah. and and maybe it goes back to that, um, you know, do we do it in secret? Does, does anybody know you're fasting? Could, have you ever fasted and no one knew, right? Like, yeah, I, I, I can say that I have, but... But it's hard, you know, because every day somebody offers you a cookie or you're, and you just say, no, no, thanks. And you move on. Right. But but I think sometimes in our in our zeal on a Sunday, we get a little too uh, vocal about our fast, a little too outward there about what we're doing there. Perfect. Anything else in chapter six you want to you want to focus on? We want to look at. Yeah, really quick. I just want to emphasize verse 21. um, And I found that this was fairly cool but i just love how he says for where your treasure is uh there will be your heart also so where where you have uh, your heart laid upon or uh, the things that you're wanting to emphasize in your life whatever that is um your heart's going to be there yeah so um you know put that uh put the gospel as that treasure put the temple as that treasure put put something you value um tremendously as that treasure and your heart's going to be in it, and you can find find peace within that. Yeah, thank you, Brock. I think that's wonderful. He, he expounds on that a little bit and talks about our eyes. He says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? I, I think connected to our treasures, where are you looking? Where do you spend your day focused? What are you what are you spending your time focusing on? It's President Nelson's quote about how joy is found um, n- not in the circumstances of our life but in the focus of our life, right? And where we look and where we're where we're keeping our gaze really becomes the things that we treasure, right? Whether it's work or it's family or it's career or it's the temple like you said or it's staying steady in the gospel. Where we spend our time, where we spend our focus, where we're looking, uh, becomes the thing that brings us joy or doesn't, right? The the light or the darkness, as the Savior would say, right? Yeah, very cool. Thank you for that. Chapter 7, we're in. Chapter 7, we're, we're skipping a little bit in, in uh, chapter 6. 
uh, verses uh, about considering the lilies. Um, man, there's some important stuff in there too, right? That's in 28 um, that we sometimes we care so much about taking care of ourselves and make sure our, we, we get all the things put together that we, we worry maybe too much and don't let God handle it enough. But but for now, let's uh, let's set that on the shelf, come back to it later. Chapter 7, take us in. What's what's here that you love that you want us to make sure we cover? In chapter 7, I really, I really enjoyed verse 7. I think that's a very well-known scripture, but it just states that ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Yeah. And then also, I just I just looked up, but we, we kind of talked about this before, but number four and five, uh, you can briefly possibly talk about that. But I loved your insight about how before we can, you know, help others that we can... Oh, yeah, it's the moat stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, the moat. So chapter seven, verse four, well, it starts in three. It, it Actually, beginning of verse one is judge not, yeah. right? That ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And, and then uh, we get the, the moat concept, right? And why beholdest thou the moat that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? A moat defined scripturally would effectively be a sliver. Just a sliver. You're, you're seeing a sliver in somebody else's eye. And, and meanwhile, you got this big old beam hanging out of your eye. How wilt thou say in verse 4, how wilt thou say unto that brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine eye. And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Uh, but before we were hit record, uh, we were talking a little bit about what we wanted to touch on. And, and Brock, you brought this up saying, you know, this is such an important concept about not judging and, and helping us learn to not judge, really being hypocrites, right, in, in how we do that. Tell me in... As a young adult today, the world's so different than 25 years ago when I was in your shoes. How do you see the moats and the beams? How do you see hypocrisy and how people are treating each other in the church, out of the church, at school, at work, wherever? Um, is, there a, is there a correlation you can make between this and just real world stuff? Yeah, I think, actually I was reading in the footnotes in 3B, Another word for mo is also gossip in the topical oh. guide. Oh man, it's kind of interesting. There it is. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, but I I totally see a correlation in in today's world. I think most immediate thought that came to my mind was how social media is is so such a powerful tool, but also it's kind of a toxic tool. Yeah. I think a lot of people spend. I think. I think the stat is almost 30 minutes a day on social media this day, uh, today. And I think that there's so much, I guess, like so much uh, judgment and so much like, oh, I wish that was me. You know, I wish I was I was living the life that maybe that person or that individual is living. And so I, I totally can see, you know, some of the things in this world, like at school, I think it's sometimes hard to be able to you know, walk around and, and not judge someone for maybe what they're wearing or, you know, how they physically look or something like that. So, and I, I think that a lot of people can and may struggle with this, not saying everyone does at all, but I, I believe that it's something that can always be worked on. And like directly, I think that is directly in correlation and, and we're able to not judge others. We, we need to start to understand where we're at first, it's a, a great opportunity to have that experience of of not not judging others, right? And then being able to help other people yeah. and saying like, "Hey, I've I've been through this. I've seen this." Yeah. And, and yeah, also, yeah, it goes back to goes back to what we were talking about before, right? When yeah. when you can be empathetic, sympathetic, and empathetic because you can correlate your experiences with someone else's experience. Yeah, I totally agree. You're, you're not judging them as quickly. Uh, you're you're going to be less quick to say, well, because you're wearing that, you must be X, Y, and Z. And and maybe the you're wearing that becomes like the 50th thing down the list when you actually get to know the person. And you say, hey, you know what? There's some other stuff I, could, I'm, I might be able to help you with. And and it's interesting because I think we read these verses and uh, in the Joseph Smith translation uh, helps us in so many things. 
here that, that I think are, are really helpful in understanding what the Savior's meaning here. For example, Joseph Smith, Matthew 7, 1 through 2 says this, Now, these are the words which Jesus taught his disciples that they should say unto the people, Judge not unrighteously that ye be not judged, but judge righteous judgment. So, the Savior is not saying never judge anything. Right? That, that's just not true. We, we judge stuff all the time. You judge who your friends are and who you're not friends are. Um, you judge what is appropriate for you to wear, for me to wear. For uh, we, we can even see someone else wearing something that's not appropriate to wear and say, yeah, that's probably not appropriate. That doesn't mean we're making a judgment about the person. We're making a judgment about the action or the behavior. And I think that's a distinction that the Savior's allowing for in the Joseph Smith translation. President Oaks gave a talk about the difference between intermediate judgment, which is what he calls that kind of, you're judging your friends, you're judging what you should do today, you're judging those things, and a final judgment where we're judging that God's going to do X to somebody because they did Y, right? And that judgment is the judgment that he's saying, don't do that. We're never going to be in that position. But Elder Oaks in that talk goes through and, and really defines how there are lots of times where we're asked to judge, and the scriptures even teach us how to do it, right? And, and so, so it's really important, I think, in our world especially, where our culture has become, you can't judge me. Who are you to judge me? Well, I can identify that this behavior, that behavior is right or wrong based on what the Savior taught. I, I can do that and, and not be a bad person, not be doing something that... But I, I can't say you're a bad person because you're doing X or Y, right? And, and in, interestingly in here, he says in verse 5, the Savior says, Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then, now listen to this, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. Now, I'm not arguing we, we now have freedom to go judge each other. That's not what he's saying. But, but he's saying there are things in your life where you can be right, and you can have a clear perspective, and you can teach other people and help them learn, but you got to be sure that you're not struggling with the same thing before you go help somebody else with that thing. And, and I think that's a really powerful, empowering concept is, you know, we live in a world where no one can judge anything for any reason, but I think the Savior's saying, no, I sent you to work with each other, right? I sent you down there to, like, have a bishop whose, like, role is to help you see ways that you can strengthen and improve. You have an elder scorn present. His same role is to help you better yourself, right? It doesn't mean he comes in and says, you're doing X, Y, and Z wrong, but can he, can he formulate his lessons in his elders' quorum around the struggling issues that the elders are having without being judgmental? Yeah, totally he can do that. And he, in order to do that, he has to judge what's going on in his elders' quorum, right? And I think a parent has every right and responsibility even to judge where their children are in their spiritual growth and development, even physical growth and development, what they're wearing, how they're dressing, all those things. We, we have given been given some purview within our stewardships to, to be able to see and, and judge and help. But man, I, I better not have a problem with the Word of Wisdom before I'm helping other people work with, through their, their issues with the Word of Wisdom. Yeah. I, I'd like to add just, you know, and if, if there's any ever any doubt, I think that a great solution to just trying to understand is going to the Savior, right? Yeah. Going to Heavenly Father. Yeah. And that's where that seven comes in. It's like, ask and it shall be given unto you, or shall be given you, seek and you shall find, knock and it shall be opened to you. Yeah. And in the footnotes, you know, it's defining ask as problem solving or access to and prayer and God and faith. And so, I don't know, I just want to add that thought. Well, I really like that. It, and it's interesting, I had never thought this until you shared that right after I shared what we've been talking about, about judging. But your comment was... You know, when we're, in, when we're in question, maybe we slow down and we, we go to the Father and we ask questions. I, I wonder if maybe there's also in here an invitation for us to ask the person, get to know the person, right? N knock on his life. Ask him to teach you about his experience before the first thing you're addressing in their world is the way they're dressing because probably that's not the first thing they need help with. I mean, to be honest with you, if, if you're in a position where you could help somebody... I don't know that I address the the outward appearance as the first problem, right? If they're if they're if they're really struggling with uh, the things in their life, that might be a, a result. Like I said earlier, fifty things down the list that 
maybe it doesn't matter right now. You know, the temporal, spiritual needs to be cared for way before the temporal. I think when the For Strength of the Youth uh, pamphlet changed and, and the bullet list of all the do's and don'ts kind of went away, there was this kind of mass exodus of the youth. I was teaching seminary at the time and there was this giant like sigh of relief that now there's no rules about what I can wear or what I should or shouldn't smoke or that I can't get tattoos. Now I can, right? All these silly, silly concepts came up that like all of a sudden the gospel doesn't have any rules and the, the Lord hasn't given us instruction. Maybe rules is the wrong word, but instruction how to live in a way that is healthy and will keep us happy. Right at about the same time, I started using the gospel library gospel topics section of that uh, and if you ever wonder if there's something and it, that you're doing or something that you want to try doing and you're just not sure how prophets have spoken about it man it, they don't they took the single line bullet item out of the for strength of the youth and added 15 pages in the in the gospel topics section of the library now so you you, you know the the one little sentence about tattoos in the Old uh, for strength of the youth is now a full page of uh, links to s places prophets have talked about that and and how there there might be social reasons and there might not be uh, times where the, I don't know I'm, I'm not even going to touch on it more than that just there is so much resource for us to knock and ask and find out from the person we're struggling to judge or from prophetic uh, counsel and instruction to us and, and then again obviously to directly to God like you've suggested. That's probably the best source, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I love that. I love uh, how you brought that up just because going back to just slowing down, right? Yeah. And then also seeking personal revelation. Yeah. I think that's the most important. So important, so important. I think our institute director is like perfect at doing that. You know, we'll come up with some problem at the institute here we're trying to address and and I always want him to just give me an answer, like super fast, like, but he just doesn't. He, he, he thinks, he ponders. He sets it on the shelf for a little while. He comes back to it. He studies it. He, and it's always done right then. And uh, I'm, I'm way too fast. To say, Let's fix the problem, <laughs> right? Well, Brock, this has been great. Is there anything else in, in seven here just to, to kind of close us out that you want to touch on? Anything that uh, we want to make sure we don't we don't skip over? Obviously, we're skipping stuff. So I think I think we covered most of it. I we talked briefly about you know twenty one through twenty four. Maybe we can recap on, sure. on what kind of that talks. Yeah, about. yeah. Before we hit record, we did all right. So let me read that. Can I just read that for a minute? Yeah, go for it. Uh, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him into the, unto the house which built his house upon the rock. And then, obviously, the rains came, and he's okay. But then in 26, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And then rains came and his house is washed away, right? So, yeah, I, I think there's some really important things in here. Uh, tell me what your thoughts are initially. Well, I just think that it's it's important to know that we should be, you know, building our foundation on foundational principles of the gospel and also, especially in today's, today's world, how we talked about how there's so much interpretation yeah. left to the youth of the world and also to us individually. Sure. Um, I think it's important for us to uh, start to understand how to receive that personal revelation, also to be able to build that house upon a rock and right. be firm in our beliefs and be firm where we stand. Because I believe that sometimes it's, or I know for a fact that sometimes it's it's hard in life and it's hard to uh, navigate where we're supposed to go or what we're supposed to do. But yeah. if we have that foundation and even like the simply writing what you're fasting about you sure. know we're True. reflecting on some of those yeah uh, core beliefs in our lives that we can we can make it through those hard times yeah that's really good I, I like that i i'm drawn to the word doeth um in this section um and, and and you brought up actions right the the fasting and the and the prayer and receiving personal revelation yeah. and all those are, are actions principles of action and um I think I think really what the Savior is getting at here is, or or a way to read it is, 
the the concept of of knowing about Christ and trying to become like him are two totally different things, right? It's like if I were to say, I am a total Boise State football fan, right? Like super fan, but um, but I don't really watch their games ever. I, I, in fact, I don't know that I've seen a game in the last 10 years, but but I but I I know what the scores are of every game, and I can tell you who is the quarterback in every game, and I know all the coaches, I know every player and their number, um, but I, but I never really watched a game. I don't, I've never been to the stadium. I don't even know where it is. Um, I don't have any merch uh, from Boise State. I, and if you came to my house, you wouldn't see anything that indicates that uh, I even know Boise State exists. But I am a total fan. I think everybody that hears that guy is going to be like, mm, no, you're not at all a fan, right? Like you picked up a book and you read stats. And that's all. You just know how to talk about Boise State without ever having seen them play or ever having seen their systems at work, right? And, and not only that, you've not, you have not adopted anything about them that makes you recognizable as a fan of Boise State, right? In this analogy, if you, if you paint the same concept onto a Christian, myself included, do I have anything about me? Have I become anything? Have I done anything that indicates I've done any more than read a stats book about the Savior, right? Can I, I can, maybe I can quote everything he's ever said, but if I, if I don't ever do anything with it, if I don't ever go to the game, if I never pick up a football and see how good I am at throwing the ball, um, you know, if I don't have any correlation to the game itself, if I don't have a jersey, if I don't have a picture of the Savior in my house, if I don't, I mean, whatever. Uh, I, I think there's a difference between identifying I know about him or that I know him, right? He, he says in 23, uh, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. And Joseph Smith uh, translation corrects that a little bit and says, then will I say, ye never knew me, right? Jesus knows all of us. He knows exactly who we are and what we've done. It's just not him saying, I don't know you, right? This is, this is him saying, you don't actually know me. You know a lot about me, but I walked into your house and you didn't even identify me, right? I think there's something really important there, that, that phrase that doing is something we, we maybe don't do enough of. And, and I say that fully aware that largely... Uh, members of the church, I think, greatly misunderstand the idea of works. In fact, uh, 21e, the cross-reference 21e, is another Joseph Smith translation that says, For the day soon cometh that men shall come before me to be judged, to, be, to me to judgment, to be judged according to their works. I think, I think because of that phrase, because of, of phrases like that in the scriptures, uh, too often, members of the church forget that nothing we do really makes us worthy of the a celestial kingdom and a place with God or with the Savior. That the grace and mercy of Christ, His atonement, everything He's done and nothing I've done gets me in there. Uh, Brother Brad Wilcox, who's in the uh, General Young Men's Presidency right now and was a General Sunday School President for the church, uh, when he gave this talk, gave a talk at B a BYU uh, address called His Grace is Sufficient. And uh, for those of you that have not heard that, um, before you listen to another podcast of me talking, please go listen to that. It will change your life. It's, uh, it's so foundational in helping us understand how grace is really all we need to get to where we want to be. Our actions, our works are really just helping us indicate to him that I want his help. It, uh, it really isn't the work that makes me worthy. It's the work that makes me be seen by him as someone that wants his help. And I think that distinction is super important because really I think what he's describing here is the general, I'm doing air quotes, Christian view of being saved. That all I have to do is Hey, I, uh, didn't you see me talk about you my whole life? And, and he's saying that's not enough. You, you know, there's some stuff you have to do. But I think we err sometimes in the church by, by thinking too much about the things we're doing 
as necessary to to make it into the he- into the heavens. And I just don't I just don't think that's true. And I think Brother Wilcox's comments are uh, would be really helpful for those that, that struggle to understand that concept. So, yeah. Anything else to add, Brock? Not just for any, me. Any thoughts there? Not for me. Okay. This has been so good. It's been so good to have you with us. For those of you that can't tell, Brock is just so humble and such a great great guy. It's fun to have him around the Institute. He's so good at, at reaching the, the one next to him that he doesn't know and and uh, just a perfect example of uh, what, what uh, we all should become. So I'm so grateful he came to be with us today. Yeah, too. Is, uh, is there a message? I'm throwing you on the spot here. Is there a message, maybe a final testimony, a thought you would give to all the young adults out there in your same boat um, or the old people like me uh, that, that are, are holding on with you know, skin of our teeth kind of thing? Is there any thoughts you'd have just in closing today that you'd share with us? Yeah. Uh, so today I had the opportunity to go to the temple. and Early. You went early. I did go Like early. six in the morning, you told me. Yep. <laughs> but I just want to emphasize the importance of drawing closer to our Savior. And, hmm. you know, I can testify with all my heart that there are no holier places on earth than inside the walls of the temple. Hmm. And um, if you are not making an effort to, to be there and you're looking for more increased you know, faith and increased strength in your life, um, you're going to find it there. Mm-hmm. In addition to you know, applying some of these simple principles we've talked about today and being humble and, and righteous in, in prayer and, and fasting, but most importantly, you know, drawing close to your Savior in, in holy places yeah. will benefit your life greatly. Yeah. So I want to put an emphasis on that, um, you know, and believe with all my heart that the Savior lives. Thank you, Brock. It's been so good to be with you today. We'll uh, have you back. <laughs> I, I hope. Will you I, come back? Sounds great. <laughs> all right, yeah. we'll see you next time. Thank you.